Agile Strategy Lab podcast, where we explore what it means to view your organization, your company, or your community through the lens of agility to create a strategy that works in a rapidly changing world. I'm Liz Nilsson, the Associate Director of the Lab at the University of North Alabama. Today's episode, presented in collaboration with the Strategic Doing Institute, is number 16. It's a great week to talk about what it looks like when government works, and that's our focus for this episode. One of our favorite concepts in Agile strategy is the idea of tossing out if only. You know, if only we had more money, if only we were better at marketing, if only our competitor didn't have so much market penetration. This year, maybe it's if only we could travel. If only really serves to keep us stuck. We become victims of our circumstances. But we don't have to view our situation that way. In fact, one of the lessons of the pandemic, because it stretched out so much further than we could have imagined in March, is that most of us haven't had the luxury of waiting it out. We've been forced to think about alternatives, new ways to get to a desired outcome, or even choosing a new outcome to steer toward. That's difficult especially if we have a lot invested in the way we've always done things. That's difficult, especially if we have a lot invested in the way we've always done things. My guest today is Lily Cavanaugh. Lily is the Executive Director of the Ohio Latino Affairs Commission. She works with Latino organizations statewide as well as with other communities of color. Those communities have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. It's been a tremendous challenge. And traditionally, one of Lily's key tools for helping groups address issues has been an annual in-person summit. Business as usual wasn't going to work this year, but given the needs, if only we had a summit, was not an acceptable choice. As you'll hear in our conversation, Plan B, a virtual summit, became much more than a second best option. It surfaced new resources, new assets that can now be put to work on new challenges. So usually we do two different summits, one for education and one for health. And our purpose with each one of those individually is to bring together experts who are in the field working with communities and with local governments in tackling issues that are affecting Latinos for those specific areas and trying to share best practices. And so the summits are really uh, spaces where practitioners, academics, government folks come together with community leaders. And we're always trying to figure out, you know, what are the best practices that you are using there and what is working for you with the goal that other people from other parts of the state would be able to hear about those practices, learn and customize them to their own needs and expand their networks, because that is really the strength of the work that we do, trying to connect people with people and trying to open doors with government. But this year, we were not going to be able to do either one of them. And so people were just very flustered and said, you know, we cannot do it. And, and we're too busy dealing with a pandemic. And that's when I said precisely, because we are so busy dealing with a pandemic, this is the most important time for us to come together to affirm whatever networks exist. And most importantly, to question ourselves, what do we do together? 
why should we do that together? And where are the most important needs? And that's basically how we came to bringing this together into one event uh, for November, you know, right in the thick of the pandemic. I'm guessing that even though it was the best alternative, changing to a virtual format was still not an easy choice? Um, There was a little bit of grief, to be honest with you. And some people were like, well, you know, it's the pandemic and we're so very busy and we just don't have the time to make time for us. Yeah, but the question I was going to ask you is to what, as I'm sure that usually the summit in part is, um, you know, people who haven't met each other before, you know, they're sitting at the same table or whatever, and they exchange cards, exchange contact information, mm-hmm. it comes a new relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little harder to do virtually. Indeed, it um, is. Yeah. To what extent do you think that happened? Or do you have a sense of that happening? I mean, as we saw the the chats, we could see like, you know, people talking to each other. There was like a whole other conference going on in the chat because someone will have a question and, oh, well, I know a resource and here's an email. So there was all this stuff going on there. So I know there was a lot of that. And in a way, I feel that letting them have that freedom in the chat uh, really opened up and made it inclusive. So I told them, you know, it's a risk I'm willing to take. But let's just let's just let that chat run free. I assure you, they're not all going to be in the chat because the speakers we have are such quality folks, and they're talking about practical matters that people will be paying attention. And and thank goodness, by the grace of God, it worked. Usually, when we plan a summit, is um, uh, you know we have a group of community advisors that help us. Um, and, and they guide the conversation. We have a lot of uh, interviews with them and we try to find out, you know, what are the key topics that are affecting you at the community level? But this year, uh, something that changes, like who did we need at the table? And definitely this was more um, an urgent need to respond to the pandemic. So we added some uh, people that were already working in state government and local governments to be a part of that group that would guide um, us in deciding, you know, what are the topics that we need to cover? Secondly, the leadership of my board, um, usually they they come as spectators to the day of the event. However, because I had so much responsibility with the pandemic response, I knew that I could not play that leadership role. And since we were bringing together different groups, I decided to reach out to our commissioners who are chairs of, of our committees, and I asked them to lead the effort. Um, So commissioners are appointed by the governor. Their role is to represent the needs of the community through our Latino Affairs Commission. But I think this was probably the first time that they kind of had to roll up their sleeves and really play that role of being a a conduit to bring together government and community uh, people together for these conversations. So I think that that also had an impact. And, and I would say, lastly, just being able to reinvent ourselves with technology and trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to deliver this program? It strikes me that what you're saying is that in that process, you actually accumulated some more assets. You know, government people that hadn't been part of the conversation before, commissioners, mm-hmm. you have a whole technology piece that you didn't have that expertise before. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other assets that you feel like the processor brought either either developed new assets or just identified ones that were already there and you just hadn't really seen them? 
Um, I think the engagement and participation of other non-Latino uh, members of the community and leaders that wanted to participate in our summit, usually that's an area that um, is hard um, because again, when we do it in person, it's all very Latino everything. And now we knew that we needed to be more comprehensive. And that is a, a goal that I've had for a long time to, to just get out of that mentality that we do stuff for Latinos because really it's all diverse ethnic communities that have to come together to create change, to improve life in our communities. And we have to become part of the mainstream. And I think just uh, maybe not directly personally for me, but having that opportunity of more people meeting in a virtual environment and realizing that the content um, of these uh, conversations applied so well to any ethnic minority. And so in that way, I don't know that I can value exactly what the extent of those assets will be, but I feel that it's just adding a lot of value to the conversations. And the other thing we did is we, um, we saved all of the videos uh, of all the conferences and we put them on our website so that they are available and we can go back to those assets now and share them with other people that are working with the communities or that may want some ideas on different topics. And we just say, hey, go watch that and maybe you'll learn something from it. So the long-term effect of what we were able to do in a one-day span is going to continue to pay forward. You know, for those of us that do annual events, it's still not clear whether or not this coming year is going to be able to be an in-person event or virtual. But either way, I'm wondering, how are you going to take forward what's happened this year into next year? I want to take it a step further this year and try to figure out some specific advocacy areas that we might be able to identify through the main areas of interest. Uh, since in, in this year, we were just responding to the immediate need of the pandemic and, you know, how do you work virtually and what are the issues and whatever. There was a lot of fact finding, but not enough action oriented um, steps. And my goal would be for this year's conference that probably the amount of information flowing back and forth will still be there, but somehow within the work groups. I want to give them the opportunity of slowing down a little bit and, and kind of like going that step further of trying to build up an action plan, because if there's no advocacy and policy impact, this is just another nice meeting. Are there ways in which what happened at the summit is now uh, making its way into other kinds of work that you do at the commission? Well, you know, there's a lot of work here now. They just, um, Governor DeWine just appointed a, a person to be, uh, what is her title? The Chief Health Opportunity Advisor for the Department of Health. And, and there's all these conversations where he made a commitment uh, for the, the uh, cabinet agencies to work um, starting, you know, last year around August or September to work and implement better practices for equity and access and inclusion. And so this person is supposed to be leading that effort. And we've been talking a lot and, and thank God, you know, she has enough common sense. But again, I want to help her frame using what I know about strategic doing to frame how we're going to go about it because it's so huge. You know, and, and they understand the value of the networks and they understand the value of the influencers, but that's not good enough. You know, how do we bring it together and give it continuity? And I feel, you know, looking back at the conference, I said, okay, the principles helped me to bring all of these people together 
and, and do something extraordinary in the middle of a very, very um, difficult time, but it had value. People vented, people learned, people met other people. There was clarity and message and, and, and process. And now, and they, they kind of got, you know, they were in the middle of the, of the tempest and it kind of like settled down, even if it was just for a day, but it helped. It kind of like refocused their energy. But now is how do we give that continuity? How do we make a plan and work on that plan to make sure that some things are definitely moving forward? Because it's too easy to be caught on the moment, you know? So it's now been two months since the summit, and I'm sure that uh, the state government's focus is now shifting a little bit to uh, how in the world do we get vaccine out to every citizen in Ohio? To what extent do the relationships that you formed at the summit or the, the conversations that people had at the summit, to what extent do those do you see those now being kind of leveraged for this new challenge that's in front of everybody? In November, nobody was sure, sure. what was going to happen. But yeah, well, I think definitely they will be super helpful. Uh, thank goodness we have a really good team here in Ohio that is working on vaccine outreach, and we have created work groups for all kinds of different areas, industries, businesses, ethnic minorities. You name it, we have it. The interesting thing is with our small work group that deals with um, minorities and people of special needs is that we can go back now to these folks that we uh, engaged with during the event and, and say, hey, you know, here's the information that we have from the work group. These are the different faces. And right now, this is the education materials that we have for you. And this is how we need you to communicate this to your people. So... I think the messaging is going out faster, further, and with more um, trust and reliability, even though, of course, there's a lot of hesitation in the community and fear. So, but it's still, we now have very good communication networks that are working well together. And people are not afraid at all to write a letter and say, hey, Lily, we need you to send this to the Department of Health. Uh, in fact, I got a letter from Toledo, Ohio, where they're asking important questions. You know, what about transportation? What about documentation? Are they going to be charging for that? And it's very easy now because they know that we have an entryway. Had we not had that come together, maybe they would not be as willing to have these conversations. You know, we talk all the time in strategic doing about how the, the part of what the process is about is building trust. That's yes. the most important outcome. Mm -hmm. And um, boy, talk about, I mean, this one, really puts that to the test. It's like, okay, so how much trust do we have? Correct. Something that is absolutely urgent. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you know, from a practical perspective, how I'm going about it, you know, when there's important information, like the governor does his press releases every week, you know, he has several press conferences, et cetera. And I've created this listserv. And of course, you know, the people who were at the conference, I say, you know, if you don't want to be a part of this list, perfectly fine. Just let me know and I'll take you out of it. But the majority of folks, they haven't said no. So they like, even though they're not expecting it or demanding it, they like to know that they're going to get that press release that is going to be in English and Spanish, that is going to be links to resources. They like to know that. So it's a whole different way of making government theirs. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the lab, 
and how we help organizations like Lilly's address complex challenges, visit our website at agilestrategylab.org. You can also email us through the website. Just look for the Contact Us button. You can learn more about strategic doing at strategicdoing.net. See you next time.